Good morning. I trust that all of you are enjoying the great summer we've, we've been having, and that you've had time to enjoy that, being outdoors, especially maybe traveling a little bit, camping, whatever turns your crank, I guess. It's been a great summer. Um, that's why I talked about, I'm gonna talk about the good life, right? You got that figured out, I suppose. Several weeks ago, I, uh, I received a booklet in the mail from our Daily Bread Ministries with the title, The Good Life. And some of you might have received the same booklet, I'm not sure, but. Uh, and it got my attention then, and, uh, and when I was asked to speak this morning, I thought to myself, maybe we need to examine that topic, the good life. What, you, what is the good life? How would you define the good life? Would it be traveling the world? as some of you have? Would it be a beautiful home? Would it be a huge bank account? Would it be, as I mentioned already, enjoying nature at a quiet, beautiful campsite? Susie and I have already visited three different campsites this summer, and we hope we're not done yet. We've, we've camped together for over 50 years and, uh, and still enjoy it. Uh, wild animals come to the campsite. This, this year we had not only squirrels come and beg for food, we had a young raccoon at our table as well. So that was, that was really neat. So cooking your meal over, <coughs> over a fire. And I had to agree with a sign that probably you've all read at the beach hut. What a time to be alive. Did you read the sign? The good life. The good life is much in demand today. And uh, many formulas have been, <coughs> excuse me, have been advanced for discovering and living it. What does the average adult mean by the good life? We've mentioned some of those things already. Uh, is it enough money? Is it reasonable health? Is it uh, good friends? Is it successful children and grandchildren? We could go on and on. What does it consist of? What does the good life consist of? What does it take to make you happy? So we do well to ask ourselves, is the good life really possible? Can anything that is offered in today's market of choices bring us within reach of that elusive goal called the good life? So we began to search the Bible for a scripture passage that would speak to this topic, and I, I couldn't get past Luke chapter 12 that uh, was read earlier for us. Jesus relating the parable of the rich fool uh, who happened to be a farmer. Sorry about that, guys. I just thought I'd mention that. And then Jesus introduces the, uh, the parable uh, with, with verse 15. Before he goes into the parable, he says in verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. His life does not consist of his possessions. Uh, Pastor Danny last Sunday talked about Achan's greed, right, out of Joshua, and how greed destroyed him. Firstly, what have we been led to believe the good life consists of? In our day, we're very much occupied with numbers. We uh, we want to know how many bushels an acre did you get? How much did that cost? What is the speed limit? Uh, how much 
Time have we got left? On and on, numbers are very important in our day and age and in our culture. And we've accepted the idea that uh, more is better than less and bigger is superior to smaller and we put a lot of weight on numbers and on things and on quantity. Now our text says, verse 15, a man's life does not consist, does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. If it would have said that it did, then we conclude that the good life is to be found right where we find ourselves today in North America. I read recently that we represent less than 10% of the world's population, yet have almost half of its wealth. Isn't that sad? Less than 10% of the population, more than half of its wealth. And, this is maybe even sadder, we consume about 30% of its annual produce and a goodly portion, the writer says, by way of the garbage can. How sad is that? Our concern for a good life must, inclu- must include, we have to understand that, that we, we need the basic needs of life, don't we? We need food, we need clothing, we need shelter. However, our concern must not be limited to these things. Every human has a motive for living. Whether, whether you're conscious of it or not, or whether it operates subconsciously in your life, the result is the same. Success for each individual is, me- is measured by the force of his life purpose and the degree of his surrender to it. And the nature of his success is determined by the character of his driving purpose. What is your life purpose? And few people really search their souls for a complete and frank answer to that question. Are we, are we in that limited company of men and women who know why they are living and what their purpose here is, their motive, their goals, their ambitions? Are we like the man in the parable whose entire life testifies, for me to live is wealth and ease? It is amazing to find how many people have their mental horizons bounded by financial success. Someone has said that if the love of money is the root of all evil, America is today one of the most wicked countries history has so far recorded. For the sake of financial success, people will sell their very souls. The parable gives us the life and death of a rich man and leaves us to judge whether he was a happy man, whether he was living the good life. Verses 16 and 17, I'll read them again. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive and he began reasoning to himself. He began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Do you know that God knows when we're reasoning to ourselves? And we're accountable to him for that. I thought about this rich farmer. Here, he's complaining that he doesn't have enough. He's worried that he doesn't have enough room to store his crops. What if it had been a year of a poor crop? 
would have been complaining even harder. Not even when he has a big crop out in the field is he, is he happy. What was he reasoning? What was he thinking? What was his concern? He saw an extraordinary crop on the field, maybe something like this year, right? Farmers, you got a good crop out there. What was he thinking? Instead of thanking God for it or rejoicing in the opportunity it would give him to share maybe with the less fortunate, he troubles himself with this thought, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. What shall I do now? Then notice the personal pronouns in verses 18 and 19. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I, 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 I. There are a number of things here that this man is taking for granted, and we notice them right away. He, notice, he takes for granted, firstly, that the crop is his. What we have, we should remember, is lent to us by God, and we're to be stewards of it. Secondly, he takes for granted that he has many goods laid up for many years. He doesn't think that maybe in an hour's time a hailstorm will pretty much ruin his crop or some other natural disaster, or China will refuse to buy his canola, right? He takes for granted it's his, and he's going to live to enjoy it. God's word says moth and rust may corrupt, or thieves break through and steal. Thirdly, he takes for granted that he'll live to enjoy what he's gathered. In our planning ahead, someone has written, let's include being ready to die. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. And one writer commenting on this verse says, if it was folly to say all this to his soul, if he had said, body, take thine ease, for thou hast goods laid up for many years, there had been a little sense in that. But the soul was in no way interested in a barn full of corn and a bag full of gold. You can't satisfy your soul, by the way, with things. And he said to himself, verse 19 again, take thine ease. If God had said so too, that man had been a happy man. But God said otherwise, thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. This was said to him when, when, the, uh, when he, we might say, had, had it made. He's got a bumper crop. He's big in building bigger bins to start. He's got it made. He's got supplies for many years. And it was said to him when he was lying awake at night, concerned about the cares and labor of enlarging those barns to store that crop. And when he was forecasting good times ahead, a life of ease and many years enjoy enjoyment, this is when God said to him, you fool, this night, your soul shall be required of thee. He thought he had goods that should be his for many years, but he must part from, him, from them this night. He thought he should enjoy them himself, but he must leave them to he, 
he knows not him. I've said this before and you've heard it before, there are no Brinks tracks in a funeral procession. In this parable, Jesus is telling it like it is and also telling it like it will be. Is God, is God someday, this is a serious question, is God someday going to call me a fool? Is God someday going to call you a fool? The case is equally somber for those who with their lives confess for me to live as social prestige or political power or business prominence or any one of the scores of unworthy motives which actuate selfish and thoughtless natural men. Make money, you die and you leave it. You attain power and it could destroy you. You rule a people and they will come to hate you. In Richard Mann's book on Elvis Presley, I, may, I, think, I think maybe I've shared this story once before, forgive me, but it's, uh, it's a story worth repeating. In Richard Mann's book on Elvis Presley, a minister tells of his conversation with Elvis, and he says, I talked to Elvis, I prayed with Elvis. He said to me, this is Elvis speaking, I have money, I have fame, I have fans. Why am I the most miserable man alive? I'm doing what you told me to do, and I'm not doing what you asked me to. At times, I'm standing on the stage and seeing hundreds and thousands of thousands of people screaming with their hands reaching toward me, and I think, what could I do if I started to preach? This is Elvis, and this pastor concludes, I believe Elvis was drawn time after time by the Spirit of God to do what was right, but he was never willing to pay the price. There was simply too much for him to give up. How sad that a person can be successful and still be a fool is really a paradox, but unfortunately it's quite possible and even more sadly, a common truth. The rich man was a fool basically because he was short-sighted. He hadn't planned beyond this brief span of his life and he had left God out of his plans. Success obtained without the blessing of God is a farce. It's shallow, it's empty, and real success and the good life cannot be achieved anywhere but in the center of God's will. All ambitions except one end with life. That one is doing the will of God. So what does it mean? What does the abundant life, what does the good life really consist of? When I was a young boy, a teenager, and took, before my baptism, took catechism classes, we learned and we had to memorize that, this, uh, that what the catechism stated as our purpose. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I thought, you know, that pretty much describes the good life, doesn't it? In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. A person that can say that, for me to live as Christ, is not on the road to success. He has arrived. What do earthly things mean to such a person? Firstly, he has the right perspective. The story is told of a Texas sheep herder who bought a very expensive Rolls Royce limousine. On his next trip to town, the car salesman asked how he liked his new car. Say, fella, said the sheep herder, this is a really nice car. 
I sure like that window that rolls down between the front and rear seats. Oh, said the salesman, I didn't know you had a chauffeur. I don't have no chauffeur, said the new owner of the Rolls Royce, but I sure do like that window. It keeps the sheep from licking my neck when I'm taking them to market. <laughs> detachment from material things, right? We all need to have that kind of detachment from the material things of life. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And these words show that contentment is not a natural characteristic of man. Excuse me. Paul says, I have learned, as much as to say he didn't know how at one time. Only a new nature can produce contentment. I'd like to share a little poem here. Trust not tomorrow's dawn to bring, to bring the dreamed of joy for which you wait. You have enough of pleasant things to house your soul in goodly state. Tomorrow, time's relentless stream may bear what now you have away. Take what God gives, O heart, and build your house of happiness today. Did you know, by the way, as I was studying this, that we were created for the good life? Creation itself was God's insistence that we are designed for abundance and for beauty and for life. Read the account of the creation. Day one, good. Day two, good. Day three, four, five, good, good, good. Day six, very good. But the human story, as we all know, took a disastrous turn, didn't it? Man rejected God, as many do today, and we live with the consequences of that choice. When we abandon God, only death remains, the death of everything. But death does not, in case you're getting depressed, death does not ultimately win. God wins. Life wins. Christ's resurrection guarantees it, and we can experience it even now. John 10.10, 10, our call to worship verse, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Life abundantly. Life in all its fullness. This is life eternal, yet it begins immediately. God offers us a choice. Are we willing to let go of the things that we were convinced were our life? And are we willing to move toward God so we can receive the good life he longs to give? Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34, 8, the verse that started me on my spiritual journey as a young boy. When my Sunday school teacher said to me, try it, I think you'll like it. In every heart is a longing that only Jesus can satisfy. What do you spend most of your time longing for? Do you long for something this world can't provide? This dissatisfaction is a thirst of the soul for God, and only in him can we find true and lasting contentment. Psalm 16, verse 2, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing, says the psalmist. No good thing apart from God. 
knowing God and living for him gives us the basis for present, eventual, and eternal happiness, and may I add, a purpose for living. So what drives my life? What drives your life? Ask yourself, no matter how uncomfortable that question is, what drives my life? We all want to live with purpose, don't we? Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And Acts 13.36, speaking of David, For David served the purpose of God in his own generation. Living on purpose is the only way to really live. Everything else is just existing. Someone has wisely said, get this, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. John Newfeld recently on Back to the Bible, he says this, having failed to establish the purpose of our lives, we flounder around trying to build a foundation on the sinking sand of human experience. As believers, we have all we have all the reason in the world to live with purpose, to have joy in our hearts and a smile on our faces. Daniel O'Donnell sings, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, and that's why we call it the present. I like that. And how about Phil Calloway? You listen to Phil Calloway? Back to the Bible. Three liberating truths, he says. He said these, these three truths should be road signs along life's highway. That's his suggestion. And the first one is, the fruit of the Spirit is not lemons. So put a smile on your face. Secondly, even ants take time off to attend picnics. So enjoy the time that God has given you. And thirdly, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. So decide what's important. I'm not a health and wealth preacher. Jesus said to his followers in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We can be of good cheer. We can have a smile on our face in spite of whatever trials of life we face. Howard Hendricks wrote this. To me, the poorest representative of Jesus Christ is the Christian who doesn't know what it is to enjoy life. Many of us are so glum that we look as if we're on the road to hell instead of the road to heaven. The only people in the world today who are in a position to laugh and rejoice are those who are secure in Jesus Christ. And so in closing, I'd like to challenge each of us to examine our life and our life's purpose. What is being gained and what is being lost and what is the cost? The things we do and don't do, the successes, the failures, the opportunities we miss and lose forever, all have an impact here and in eternity. People always worry about dying. It's much sadder having never begun to live. Charles Allen says, no person ever really lives until he has found something worth dying for, 
You can never really possess the kingdom of God until the cause of God becomes more important to you than your own life. And many years ago, 1917, Billy Sunday, the name is familiar to you, he was an athlete, a famous athlete turned evangelist, and he appeared at New York's Hippodrome to address a celebrity audience of actors. And after recounting the moment of his own conversion, <clears throat> excuse me, during his playing days with, with the Chicago White Sox, he concluded, the reason I'm telling you the story tonight is to encourage you to get into the game before it's called. None of you know what inning you're in or when suddenly, without warning, the lights will go out and the score you've got is the one you'll carry with you into eternity. My friends, 10,000 years from now, we're all going to be someplace, somewhere beyond the grave, either heaven or hell. Not believing it doesn't change the fact. You're actors, not ball players. So what I'm asking you to do is pick your part, the most important one of your life, but don't play it, live it. Before the final curtain comes down and the review you get is forever. Peace with God, the greatest single ingredient necessary for us to enjoy a fulfilling life, a life that's worth living that is, and is a blessing to others. May God grant us wisdom in establishing values and priorities in each of our lives, and may he bless us with the spiritual ingredients which result in the good and the abundant life. Would you bow with me? We thank you, Father, this morning for your offer of abundant life and that we can experience that blessing even now in a relationship with you. Father, forgive us for thinking that we can find what we need apart from you. You alone can satisfy the longings of our heart. Help us to live out your purpose for our lives each day and so honor you and bless others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.